Historically, uh, wastewater treatment was developed for sanitation purposes. So now we're entering into a new era of wastewater management where we think about wastewater in the context of circular economy as a valuable resource. A resource of reclaimed water, a resource of energy, a resource of nutrients, nitrogen, and phosphorus. Even we can extract the biopolymers. Welcome to Science Town, a podcast about the most unique research community on the planet. With every episode, we will bring you cutting edge tech, science, and startup culture through the eyes of pioneering men and women. Their journeys cross disciplines and cross borders in the pursuit of world changing science. Welcome to episode 25 of Science Town. I'm your host, Julie West. In this third episode of the three-part Science Town series on innovative portable technologies, I chat with Dr. Pascal Cycli, a professor of environmental science and engineering at KAUST with expertise in wastewater treatment and water reuse. Pascal discusses innovative wastewater treatment approaches developed by his team to produce clean water for non-potable applications such as irrigation and horticulture, including a portable pilot plant designed to provide access to rural and remote areas of Saudi Arabia. Welcome, Dr. Saikali. Thank you for joining us in the Science Town studio today. Thank you, Julie, for having me here today. How is wastewater treatment in the industry today innovative from, say, 20 years ago? Well, actually, uh, we're still using uh, the same technology that was invented 100 years ago. And we call this technology the activated sludge process. The concept behind activated sludge process is that when you have sewage and you provide aeration, because organisms, they require oxygen to survive. So when you mix the sewage with oxygen, uh, these microorganisms, they form uh, some small aggregates, we call them flocks. Now, these flocks uh, are responsible for the removal of the pollutants and wastewater, the organics, the nitrogen, and the phosphorus. With these aggregates, you need to uh, make sure that you can separate them from the treated water. So in other words, you build large uh, settling tanks, or what we call them clarifiers, that allow the settling of these biological flocks from the treated water. And that uh, takes a huge footprint to separate the treated water from these microbial aggregates. And the real uh, breakthrough in innovation really happened in 2011, when there was a new technology was invented called aerobic granular sludge. Now with the granular sludge process, you can form larger aggregates of microbial community. This means you don't need to have any more these separate settling tank tanks to separate the treated water from the organisms. And the nice thing about granules is that you can think about them as a biofilm system where you have some diffusion limitation of oxygen going into the biofilm. So this allows to have multiple layers with each layer consisting of different microbial communities. So for example, some organisms, they love to respire oxygens like humans. Some other organisms, they like to respire nitrate, nitrite. 
Some others, they don't like oxygen. They like to have some anaerobic conditions. By providing these different environments in just one granules, you can achieve the removal of the organics, the nitrogen and phosphorus. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So, so they each have different um, specifications and needs, and by identifying those, you can treat them accordingly. Right. So think about in one system, you can remove the organics, you can remove the nitrogen and phosphorus. These are the main pollutants in wastewater. At the same time, you can separate these aggregates from the treated water. So you can reduce the footprints significantly. You don't have to have a large capital cost. And also from the operation point of view, it's, it's easier and it costs less in terms of energy consumption, etc. scientist who is a former research scientist at CALS, Dr. Mohammed Ali, now at a university in Ireland. Uh, you're working on developing a pilot mobile wastewater plant in Rabig, Saudi Arabia, in collaboration with the National Water Company of Saudi Arabia. What do you want this pilot facility to achieve? And what's the value of having a mobile wastewater treatment facility? Right. That's an excellent question. Um, the motivation behind this concept is, so currently in Saudi Arabia, there's 40% of the households are not connected to the centralized sewage network. So this means that wastewater collected, generated from these households are collected by trucks to these centralized wastewater treatment plants. So trucking the wastewater is, uh, one, is costly, like each trip can cost around 50 uh, US dollars. It causes traffic congestion. It contributes to uh, air pollution and also generation of greenhouse gases. Now, if you want to expand the underground infrastructure for centralized sewage network, it's very costly. And some locations in the kingdom, it's impractical because it's far away from the centralized um, treatment plant. Uh, and also pumping the wastewater for a very long distance is very costly and it also contributes to greenhouse gas emissions, mainly carbon dioxide and methane. So that's why we came up with the concept, why not have decentralized approaches for wastewater treatment where you can generate the wastewater, you treat it on site and also produce water that you can reuse on site. So that's really the motivation behind uh, this technology. And it's very compact. This means space is not an issue. And it's also modular. This means if you want to expand the capacity of treatment, you can have multiple units next to each other. So this unit, for example, in Rabek, the capacity is 100 meter cube per day, which is equivalent to 1,000 to 1,500 uh, population equivalent. So if you increase the population, let's say, and you want to expand the capacity, you can have another unit next to it. So that's the nice thing about modular system. So you can easily have them next to each other. Is that the goal to see how this first uh, unit does? Right. So now we're validating this uh, unit with, with real wastewater. So the wastewater treatment line in Rabic actually already receiving uh, wastewater from these trucks. 
So they basically uh, discharge the wastewater from these trucks in an equalization basin. And then we're pumping the wastewater from this buffer tank to our unit. And we're treating it. And the water, we are actually testing the quality of the effluent to see if it is suitable for reuse applications. I see. And, and what uh, what's the timeline of evaluating the success? So with biological systems, um, microorganisms, they need time to, um, to adapt to new environments. They need time to be enriched. So we're thinking about three to six months where we reach to um, a stage where we can say that this is working for us. Well, that's very soon yeah. then. Mm-hmm. And and you said 40% of the population, I, I mean, across the kingdom, correct, uh, don't have access to centralized wastewater. So I was going to ask who benefits, obviously. Uh, the unserved uh, population, actually. Yeah. yeah. So could you roll this out to other cities then? Yeah. I mean, that's really the idea. And we've been contacted from other uh, cities in the kingdom where they're really interested in these type of approaches. Uh, for example, in Al-Ola, the Royal Commission of Al-Ola. Right. Um, so is this the same thing as what's called packaged treatment plants or different? It's... You can call it containerized. You can call it packaged. It's it's, but for us, it's more uh, a plug and play. This means you can just easily uh, place it in a different location, and you can just run it. Okay, yeah. and and so aside from the the portability um, features, how does it how does it work? So it is so um, in wastewater treatment plants. Um, you have uh, the biological process and you also have a physical process happening. So the biological process is based on the granule sludge uh, approach, but we also have uh, something called uh, membrane filtration. So here, the way that uh, filtration is happening is through gravity, not pressure driven. So when I say gravity, this means you have enough pressure above the membrane, enough water, pressure above the membrane to drive the filtration process. So you don't have to add any energy to filter. This means we're reducing the cost also for membrane filtration. So just to give you an example, so at KAUST, the membrane filtration process is pressure driven. And based on the energy consumption, we calculated it costs around 0.8 kilowatt hour per meter cube of treated wastewater. So in our system, system we have a gravity-driven filtration process. So it consumes zero energy. Zero energy. That's remarkable. Um, uh, it's exciting to think about real-world applications um, as a result of this research. How, how do you feel about that? Not every um, <laughs> scientist sees their work beyond the lab. Um, um, to be honest, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, when I joined KAUST, I never thought one day honestly, that we will be developing a technology at, at this capacity, 100 meter cube per day. And it's it's invented at KAUST and it's serving uh, the kingdom. Many places in the world, they don't have issues with water scarcity. In the kingdom, because of water scarcity, it's very important to look at multiple sources of water. So wastewater is one of them. So that's why decentralized, decentralized approaches also will help the kingdom to meet its vision 2030 in increasing the reuse from 25%, which is now to 70%.
You're listening to Science Town. I understand that your team is using a certain kind of bacterium found in the Red Sea to remove nitrogen Mm -hmm. from high saline wastewater. Uh, So wastewater 101 question, (laughs) why is it important to remove nitrogen from wastewater? And then why this bacterium? Are they more successful or efficient at doing this in other methods? Right. So... Um, in wastewater, the main pollutants are organics, nitrogen, and phosphorus. Now, the way uh, you want to manage this treatment process is to provide enough treatment so that when you discharge the effluent, you should have low concentrations of nitrogen and phosphorus. So most of the times in many countries, they discharge uh, the treated uh, sewage into rivers and lakes. Yeah. So if you have nitrogen, phosphorus, and you have sunlight, you have growth of algae. So you don't want this to happen. Now, historically, the way you treat ammonium in wastewater is you provide oxygen. And that consumes energy. So you have a certain organism that can oxidize this ammonium to nitrate and nitrite. And then you have another organism that reduces the nitrate back to nitrogen. So it's a complex process that involves multiple organisms. Now, if you can reduce this process, then you can reduce the energy consumption and the complexity of treating ammonium. So that's why these organisms that we call them anamox bacteria or anaerobic ammonium oxidizing bacteria, they can treat the ammonium without providing oxygen. So in other words, you can reduce the energy consumption significantly by around 60%. And then you can oxidize the ammonium and you use, instead of oxygen, use nitrite as their respiration. So we as a human, we respire oxygen. These organisms, they respire nitrite. So ammonium and nitrite, they will eventually be converted to nitrogen. So we can save energy in terms of the treatment process and at the same time the whole process becomes sustainable. How did you make the connection to explore these bacterium in the first place? So the idea of using saline environment is that for example in Hong Kong they use seawater for toilet flushing and when you use seawater for toilet flushing and you combine it with with the fresh water eventually you produce a wastewater that is saline. And the conventional organisms that are responsible for nitrogen removal, they're not resistant to saline environments. So that's why we thought like, why not think about enriching for an organism that survives in saline environment and can oxidize the ammonium in a sustainable fashion. That's why we start to explore more the Red Sea as a source of inoculum to enrich for these uh, saline uh, anamox bacteria. Nice. And what are you finding? We were able to enrich for this novel organism. It's very efficient in, uh, in removing ammonium. And most importantly is that uh, you can also um, enrich them as granules. So this means you can reduce the footprint of treatment and you can retain them in the system. Because the most important thing in wastewater treatment is that when you reach an organism, you want to make sure that you can retain it inside the system and not wash out 
during the treatment process. So by having these granules that settle really fast, then you can retain them for a longer period. So, and that's very critical when you want to apply a novel uh, treatment process. I see. Is this approach being used um, by other places or is this unique to your team? Uh, the bacterium is unique. Uh, the Anamox uh, was uh, discovered in the mid-90s, accidentally, by the way, um, mm. by a group of researchers in Technical University of Delft. They were running an anaerobic uh, fluidized uh, technology and they discovered that the ammonium was removed without having oxygen in the system. And then they used some molecular biology technique and they discovered this new uh, organism. Now, um, most of the applications were focused on fresh water and not saline environments. So that's the unique thing that we enrich the organisms from the saline environment. And our interest again is to apply it in places where they used uh, seawater for total flushing, which reduces the amount of fresh water used for uh, domestic use. And how might that relate to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia? If you can uh, use uh, seawater for toilet flushing, uh, you can reduce the uh, water consumption by 30%, the fresh water consumption by 30%. And that's really beneficial because most of the water in the kingdom comes from desalination. And it's an energy intensive process. So you can reduce that energy uh, consumption too. Brought to you by Kaust. Is there any um, new development maybe related to what we've discussed or something altogether different that's on the horizon for you and your team? So, I mean, uh, m most of the work that we do is focused on, on wastewater, but we also have other projects um, in the same context is that how we can use waste as a resource and not as waste. So we have another project where we are actually converting expired food waste into medium chain carboxylic acids that we can use as a feed for animals. So we are working with Almarai. So they're providing us with expired dairy food waste. And we're using our technology also, it's microbial technology, there's fermentation process happening. And we basically select for some organisms that instead of converting the food waste to methane gas, which is traditional, this is how it happens. We convert it into carbon-6 uh, chemical that has higher value than methane gas. Gosh, there's so much yeah. food waste. Right, uh, yeah. So it's uh, exciting to right. think that right. we can take our bad habits and right. turn them into right. something right. useful. I think that every discipline has uh, an essential philosophy that guides it. And what is yours? My philosophy is that um, in order to solve big challenges, you have to uh, integrate, you have to be interdisciplinary. Uh, you have to use different approaches to tackle these grand challenges. 
Um, and that's the nice thing about environmental engineering is that we basically use disciplines uh, from different uh, fields, uh, chemistry, biology, physics, and we try to integrate them to solve these big challenges. So for example, in, in our research group, um, we work with electrochemistry. We work with microbiology, bioprocess engineering. We also collaborate with colleagues that are expert in material science. We use their expertise to develop materials that we can apply in our systems to recover more resources. So I think interdisciplinarity integration is key these days to address these big challenges related to water, energy, environment and food security. Thank you so much for you. talking about these uh, water reuse strategies, Pascal. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thanks to everyone who took part in Science Town. Science Town is produced by Julie West and Alex Arias. This podcast is a production of King Abdullah University of Science and Technology, also known as KAUST. You can find us on all major social channels, wherever you get your podcasts, and at sciencetown.kaust.edu.sa.